0: to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game-changers, you are in the right place. The buzz on the street today, every day is a revolution. Welcome to the future, yes, Brad Paisley's wonderful lyrics and the part we're talking about is welcome to the future coupled with the word revolution. Okay, context here. Earlier this year, uh, here on Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio, we began discussing digital manufacturing powering the fourth industrial revolution. It might have been a surprise to some of our listeners around the world that we were already in the fourth. Well, I have breaking news for you. We're not quite done with 2016 and we're already in the fifth Industrial Revolution. You heard it here. Vroom, zoom. We are moving fast. Let's look at what this means. Think about this smart factories, connected machines, the IIoT, industrial internet of things, collaborative robots talking to each other, and digital twins are all happening. And now we're moving ahead to intelligent robots. 3D-printed human organs, drones that are picking up orders in warehouses and delivering them somewhere to a place near you, and autonomous, driverless cars. Well, recently, the journalist, Bhaskar Chakravorty, the Senior Associate Dean of International Business and Finance at the Fletcher School of Tufts University, described this whole thing that's happening as the fusion of technologies that is blurring the lines between the physical, the digital, and the biological spheres. That's a lot to grasp. Why is it moving so fast? Where are we headed? We have a panel. Actually, the three panelists today have been on with me before several times, and we're looking forward to some great updates for them. Let me just tell you who's on. Jason Kaufman at Deloitte Consulting Manufacturing Principal is joining me today, as well as Sean Malloy, Industry Solution Principal for the Industrial Machinery and Components Automotive and Mill Products Industries at i-Intelligence Inc. I always tell Sean that's a big business card. And rounding out the panel is David Parrish, my colleague at SAP. He's Senior Global Marketing Director for the Industrial Machinery and Components Industry for SAP. So let's circle back to Jason's going to kick us off today. And Jason has sent me a quote from well, what else? Back to the future. Everybody remember that, 1985? We're talking about a quote here from Dr. Emmett Brown, Doc, a fictional character. He was the inventor of the first machine he built out of a DeLorean sports car. The character was portrayed by Christopher Lloyd in all three films. And in the animated series, he's voiced by Dan Castellaneta. Uh-huh. Uh, just an interesting side note here, Jason may not know. In 2008, Dr. Emmett Brown, the fictitious character, Character, was selected by Empire Magazine as one of the 100 greatest movie characters of all time, ranking at number 20. So there. Here's the quote, and I have a, a word that's an expletive here. I'm going to spell it out partially. If my calculations are correct, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious S-blank-blank-T. Jason Kaufman, welcome. How are you today?
2: Hi, Bonnie. Doing well. Thanks for having me back Thanks. on.
1: I hope I handled the expletive properly. You think everybody got the word?
2: I, I think so. I I think it's pretty <laughs> self explanatory We got grown
1: ups here. Tell me something. So we're talking fifth industrial revolution. How did you pick this quote for our topic today, Jason? Go ahead, talk to me.
2: Yeah, as this is our our, our third get together and, and across the year, you know, it it feels like we've reflected on some of the the hype some of the valley of despair, and, and based on my, my travels and conversations with Alliance partners and, and clients, it feels like we're starting to accelerate. So uh, it, it inspired me to think back to Doc's quote, and I don't, I don't know if we have a flux capacitor that's been invented yet, but it feels like we're starting to get close to that 88 miles per hour.
1: Well, do you think that the, uh, the collaborative robots and the intelligent robots are going to get together and, and reinvent that someday soon, Jason?
2: Uh, we, we, we may. That might be uh, uh, the 6th, 7th, or 8th uh, revolution, but uh, with autonomous coming, who knows what, uh, what other barriers we may be able to get beyond.
1: We don't want to shock our listeners. We've already moved from 4th to 5th very quickly. Quick question for you. Did you know that Dr. Emma Brown was one of the top 100 greatest movie characters of all time? Could you even imagine that?
2: No, I, I didn't. As, as you were finding that and sharing it, it was uh, new news to me. But not, not I'm cool.
1: glad. Well, I said we had breaking news. I didn't quite think it would be about the character Jason. Welcome back. Thank you. And I see you tweeting here, and I see Deloitte SAP tweeting. And by the way, anybody want to join the Twitter party? We're at hashtag SAPRADIO. Easy to remember. Thank you, Jason. Now let me introduce Sean Malloy at Intelligence Inc. And Sean has sent me a quote from John D. Rockefeller, who was. Quoted in a book called How They Succeeded Back from 1901, written or compiled by Orison Sweat Marden. And anybody wondering, let's see what we've got here. I'm looking for my information. Marden, interestingly enough, was an American inspirational author who wrote about achieving success in life. And he founded Success Magazine in 1897. Interestingly enough, the circulation grew to a half a million subscribers. If you can imagine, thinking back to 1897, no internet, what, no cell phone. Phones. What? Probably not many telephones. I didn't even know when that was invented. He wrote articles that focused on self-culture, personal development, and principles of success. And he, he notably quoted public figures like Teddy Roosevelt, Alexander Graham Bell, I guess we did have the phone, and industrials including John D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie. So here is the quote from John D. Rockefeller. I do not think... That there is any other quality so essential to success of any kind as the quality of perseverance. It overcomes almost everything, even nature. Sean Malloy, welcome back. How have you been, Sean?
3: Oh, I've been doing very well, Bonnie. Um, it's, it's good to be back on the show.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to have you. Talk to me. Are you a big fan of John D. Rockefeller? And, and have you ever heard of Orison Sweat Martin?
3: Now, uh, uh, Rockefeller, definitely a uh, big fan. Uh, Orison, not so much. I, I really wasn't uh, aware of Orison or, or the writings that Orison had done until I started researching more on uh, Mr. Rockefeller. So, very, very interesting uh, uh, about Orison. But, you know,
1: yeah, it is, and, and he was quite the guy. He certainly knew that people were looking for information about success. That's why I believe he profiled all of these notable figures. Now, let's talk about the quote. Perseverance is the key word here. What are we talking about here? Are the robots persevering? Are we persevering? Is the Industrial Revolution persevering and taking on a life of its own? What, what's your observation, Sean?
3: I, I think everybody's per, persevering here. You know, when, when we talk about the Fifth Industrial Revolution, We'll talk a lot about things that just haven't been done before. Um, you know, we're blazing new trails, uh, opening up new avenues, and of course, anytime you try something new, failure is inevitable. But uh, you know, I think this quote really typifies that: if you, if, if you, can, those that persevere will overcome those initial failures, and and they'll be rewarded in the marketplace. And and if we take a look at the guy who who wrote, you know, who was quoted, you know, mm-hmm. his advice advice from a man who tried multiple joint ventures before he got it right with Standard Oil and, and went on to become, you know, arguably the, the wealthiest American of all times. So he, he definitely persevered.
1: Absolutely. Do you think the robots have a perseverance gene built into them, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> I think
3: they're going to have to. Um, they're going to have to have with the, uh, the way the sensors are going to have to work, they're going to have to work under very – difficult conditions and alongside of, of workers and do it in a way that, you know, doesn't harm anybody but uh, keeps the production moving.
1: I think so. is it, by the way, is there one person behind this, driving this fifth industrial revolution, or is it a collaborative effort? Just a, a little level check here. What do you observe?
3: What I'm observing is it's a very collaborative effort. Um, organizations are reaching out to different uh, uh uh, principles such as myself and different uh, technologies and uh, outside of what their their core business is, and putting pulling these things together and, and it's a huge collaborative effort.
1: Good to know, and I think we have perseverance in our genes, so thank you very much, and now let's welcome back David Parrish, who put this together for me. David, thank you, and David loves baseball. David loves, loves, loves baseball, and he said to me, using another sports quote here, the quote is from Tom Treblehorn. Anybody doesn't know who he is, I'll tell you. Thomas, middle name is Lynn, and Treblehorn, born in 1948, January 27th. is a former manager in Major League Baseball for the Milwaukee Brewers from 1986 to 91, seems like in the dark ages, and the Chicago Cubs from 19 in 1994. He was the manager of the Class A Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes from 2008 to 2012, and after his playing career ended, Tom Treblehorn served in several managerial and coaching stints in the major league organizations of the Oakland Athletics, the Cleveland Indians, the Pittsburgh Pirates, before being named as the first base coach of Milwaukee Brewers in 1984. I have a little trivia for you, Dave Parrish. You may May not know this, but you probably do. While coaching in the Oakland Minor League organization, Treblehorn was instrumental in teaching future Hall of Famer Ricky Henderson the intricacies of base stealing. Based on remarks made by Henderson at the ceremony where he was inducted to the Hall of Fame in July 2009, here's the quote Dave has selected from Tom Treblehorn: "The last time the Cubs won the World Series was 1908." The last time they were in one was 1945. Hey, any team can have a bad century. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. David Paris. That's one of our all-time favorites. How are you, Dave?
4: I'm excellent. Thanks for having, uh, having me back, Bonnie.
1: We're delighted. Well, I, we had to because if the Industrial Revolution is moving so fast, we couldn't just leave it as telling people we're in the fourth. We had to come back and talk about the fifth. Tell me, I know you're a big baseball fan. Did you know that he taught uh, Ricky Henderson how to steal bases?
4: I had no idea. I learned more about Tom Treblehorn in the last few seconds, Bonnie, than I have. Uh,
1: <laughs> so. You're just being nice to me, Dave Paris. Tell me, how does this quote relate to our industrial revolution about the Cubs? What's what's the line? The dotted line there. I'm looking for it. Well, a couple things. I mean, it, it dawned
4: on me how fast things are moving, and um, and even in, a whole, in Tom Treblehorn's lifetime, right, the Cubs haven't even been to a World Series, let alone won one. So. For me, it was just kind of, uh, uh, I've got baseball in the brain because the Cubs are doing so well, and I think I told you guys last time, my mom is 80, and she's been going to see the Cubs since the uh, late 40s, early 50s, so we're just hoping that, like we say in Cub Land, this is the year, and uh, Back to the Future (laughs) predicted, the second movie predicted that the Cubs would win it in 2015. Well, that did not happen, so...
1: Interesting, I think the word perseverance is in the gene of the Cubs, what would you say, the genes, and, and baked Absolutely. into the uniforms, yes? Absolutely. Dave, are they using any kind of robots in coaching now? I'm thinking of Troublehorn coaching uh, Ricky Henderson, are they using any kind of uh, AI or robotics in, in teaching things like base stealing and running and all of that good stuff? I
4: would imagine so, it's been quite a few years since I played or coached the game as you can imagine, but... Uh, even way back when, when I was a kid, they had the automatic pitching machines, which were, you know, robotic pitchers, and I'm sure now they probably use computer graphics to figure out people's swings like they do in golf and people's throwing motions, and I'm sure there's all sorts of things on the, the health front uh, that would boggle all of our minds in the in the current Major League Baseball, but I, I really don't know, Mike.
2: All right, we'll have to do-
1: I'll have to do my homework, Dave Paris. Let yeah. me give you a break for a second and circle back to Jason Kaufman at Deloitte Consulting. Jason, we'd love to know where you're calling from today, what time it is, and what are you drinking right now, or what are you thinking about drinking later on?
2: Yes, I'm uh, back in Detroit, Michigan after a bit of travel down to Dallas, Texas to start off my week. And, uh, um, I had the opportunity to travel at the Napa across the summer. So this evening, I'm looking forward to unwinding a little bit and tapping into a Fisher Vineyard, which was one of our special stops along our, our trip. Uh, some of the wine shipments are starting to show up at my door. Uh, so have a, a Coach Insignia Cabernet Sauvignon um, uh, waiting for me.
1: Sounds delightful. Very nice. And uh, let's talk to Sean Malloy at Intelligence, Sean. Same question, where are you, what time is it, and what are you either drinking right now, if it's fascinating, if not, what are you looking forward to?
3: Uh, Bonnie, well, I'm in uh, Dallas, Texas, and uh, what I've been looking for is a uh, drink called Chameleon Cold Brew Coffee. Um, It's made by a company down in Austin, Texas. It's very highly caffeinated but uh, uh, low low acid. Uh, They claim it's the best tasting coffee ever and is jitter-free with natural caffeine. So I I went out looking for that last night in my local store and and couldn't find it. So I, I may have to order directly from the manufacturer.
1: I think you might have to. I just typed in Chameleon, C-H-A-M-E-L-E-O-N, Chameleon Cold Brew Coffee, and I found you can get it on Amazon. They have it at something called thrivemarket.com. It tells you how to make cold brew coffee. Then we have it sold at Target. It's sold at, let's see now, chameleoncoldbrew.com, Austin's original consciously crafted fair trade organic coffee, cold brew coffee concentrate, and ready-to-drink flavors available. Yeah, all kinds of We've got a Facebook page, Sean. You can go to Facebook slash Chameleon Cold Brew and learn all about them. Very interesting. And now we have also a place called CaffeineInformer.com, Caffeine Caffeine in Chameleon Cold Brew, but I rest my case. That sounds exciting. I'm going to have to look into that. Dave Parrish, where art thou? What art thou drinking?
4: I am in beautiful Denver, Colorado, uh, 921 in the morning, and I am drinking... Well, first of all, let me just qualify this a little bit. I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of a dirty martini. I am not drinking mm-hmm. dirty martini this morning, but what I am drinking is a dirty chai, which for those who do not know is a chai mm. pate with some coffee in it. It's supposed to be espresso, but I'm not that fancy, so...
1: Interesting. I looked that one up, too. Starbucks has a dirty chai. They have a secret menu. Hack the menu. I don't know what that. That's a hashtag. Dirty Chai Celestial Seasonings have one. We've taken our already lively masala chai blend of Assam black tea and spices and spiked it with an invigorating burst of real espresso. It's a bold new take on chai. Oh, I love that, Dave. Thank you very much. And as the three of you know, I'm just very boring with my clear, cool, cup of clear, cool water with a, today I have a green straw, because we are talking eventually about digital manufacturing, and everybody wants to know how to increase that bottom line. So, to our listeners, you're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. This is episode number 249. I'm the only one who's keeping track, but very exciting. been doing this show almost weekly since the end of 2011, and we're moving up to next week will be episode number 250. Topic today, digital manufacturing part three, powering the Fifth Industrial Revolution. I have three very smart panelists with me today. Jason Kaufman, COFFMAN at Deloitte, Sean Malloy at Intelligence; and David Parrish at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Justin out.
0: Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. You're enjoying coffee break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram.com. Indeed, here we
1: are. We're talking about digital manufacturing powering the fifth industrial revolution. If you missed out on the fourth, the third, the second, and the first, this is where we're going to catch you up to breaking news. So, we're talking today with Jason Kaufman, Sean Malloy, and David Parrish. And we're going to kick off the roundtable with some comments from Jason Kaufman. He says, Slapping sensors on things is easy. What to do with the information gets hard. Let me read a little bit more. The ability to monitor and leverage sensors has become fairly straightforward and not overly expensive, but compelling use cases beyond proactive maintenance of machines or comparing performance between plants around the globe seems to create some pause when executives are looking for what do they want to do with all of this. So let's talk. Jason Kaufman, what are we talking about?
2: Yeah, kind of bleeds over from my my quote on on some of the the hype we were talking about in in previous conversations to, you know, a bit of the valley of despair. Uh, I think a lot of executives that that I've met with and heard from, you know, a few months back were still struggling with, okay, so why would I invest in this? Where do I start? How do I get moving? Uh, Some of the experimentation that's been happening, I think, is starting to bear some fruit. Uh, There's still a lot of information coming in that they're trying to digest, but I think real-life use cases are starting Started to proliferate, which is allowing some of that acceleration. Um, so, so whether it's oil and gas and, and leveraging a pig going through all their pipelines and, and the, the, the wealth of data coming off and understand where there could be challenges or weaknesses or pipelines that are close to communities. Uh, so the risk of having you know, a, an issue with that pipeline uh, due to due to the location of it, uh, becomes more more critical for them to take care of. And having this data is now starting to bubble up and allow them to make you know real life um, insights uh, that can that can really drive some of the, the analytical capability into into action uh, to help help drive their business and, and improve um, profits or reduce risk.
1: Are we talking about the job description of a data scientist, Jason?
2: Uh, there's a component of that for sure, from a standpoint of as you start putting sensors on, and as as you quoted, you know they're getting less and less expensive in the mm-hmm. type of sensors that can can monitor things. Um, so as we start slapping them on, uh, mm-hmm. what do you do with that information, and how do you is, is correlation causation uh, mm-hmm. maybe, and and how do you have uh, the the right. Um, the right teams and the right people and the right data scientists to be able to get those insights and, and, and act acor- act appropriately based on them.
1: Thank you. Sean Malloy, let's hear from you. What are your thoughts on the slapping sensors and what do you do with the resulting data?
3: I, I, I like the, the topic and I like the way that it, it was presented. Um, one of the things that I do when I'm talking with companies that are starting on their their IoT journey is, you know, I explain to them the fundamental differences between being an, an industrial machinery and components company versus a consumer products company. Um, a lot of times people are familiar with the, the consumer product side that says, I can put a sensor and I can push the data to the iPhone. And as long as I can have, you know, just a little bit of information for the user on the iPhone, I'm good. But when it comes to industrial machinery and components, that's not what their customers are looking for. What they're looking for are sensors that are sending that is sending data back to an expert on the piece of equipment, and then that expert is using new tools and new programs and, and their in-depth knowledge of the product to be able to provide a service, uh, especially around preventive maintenance and those types of things. So there's a whole new infrastructure that has to be put in place, and there's a retooling of the business and has to be done with new lines of businesses when it comes to an industrial machinery and components uh, uh, company. Not as simple as, as as the quote says there, not as simple as just slapping a sensor on something and and watching the data go.
1: Yep, not simple at all. Dave Parrish, let's get your two cents on this, or however much change you have in your digital wallet.
4: Yeah, absolutely, and I was going to echo just what you said, Bonnie. Not simple at all is the... uh, is definitely the the cry here. And, you know, Jason's example with a pipeline or even Sean's example with an industrial uh, machinery and components manufacturer, I think, you know, it's already been said, but, you know, the hype and the acceleration of the innovations is, I think, personally faster than anything I've seen in my adulthood, that's for sure. And um, you mentioned, Bonnie, data scientists, and it just kind of... Mm-hmm. It it, it just kind of cracked me up because I'm I'm thinking about uh, Doc in Back to the Future running around in his white coat (laughs) and his crazy hair, and I've met a few of these data scientists, and they don't look anything like that guy, so it's (laughs) a brave new world, as they say, right?
1: That is, a, that's a very funny remark. And I think the character was created actually on a hybrid of, who was it, Albert Einstein and somebody else with crazy hair, uh, character of Leopold Stakowski and Albert Einstein. That was how the character's appearance and mannerisms were inspired by. Very interesting. Yes, back to the future, back to the original data scientist, Dr. Emmett Brown. Thank you very much for that, Dave. Uh, Jason, anything you want to wrap up on this one? Because I want to pick up some topics from Sean and Dave. So go ahead, Jason. Anything you want to add?
2: Yeah, just to close, I mean, as we talk about the data scientists, one of the things I'm starting to see, too, is industrial equipment companies are providing products, whether they're valves, whether they're other components in a manufacturing environment. Where do those data scientists sit? Um, Some of those experts could be with your partner. So, as you talk about the biology that's influencing this ecosystem, it's interesting that we're starting to use you know biology terms. But you know, is it better to have it as a managed service? So as some of these companies evolve, is it more than just a product? Is it also the analytics and services that could be you know dynamic in nature, monitoring a plant, so you get you know a tail uh, on that purchase beyond just the equipment that you place in your plant? And is that a better use of, of the insights than having them just within your four walls as a company, you know, managing your assets and and processes.
1: Interesting perspective. Thank you very much, Jason. And now, Sean Malloy, I'm going to move to something very provocative in your notes here. We're talking food for a second here. Sean Malloy says, if the fifth industrial revolution is a fusion of technologies like the food fusion chefs of today, it will take a bold chef, and chef is in quotes, of course, to create and plate the fusion sensation offerings of tomorrow. You're making me hungry, but I don't think that's what we're talking about. So I didn't have breakfast, Sean. Are we serving up something with these technology fusion chefs? Talk to me.
3: Yes, yeah, so really there's there is no recipe for success when it comes to the fifth industrial revolution. We talked about in the in the opening that there was a, there is a fusion between the the, the data and the biology and uh, you know, the mechanisms that, that are going to be used. And uh, uh, bringing those pieces together in a way that, that will uh, further some, you know, scientific study or will improve the, the safety or quality of life for, for people in a meaningful way that, that we can experience today, you know, this is, this is something that people are going to have to be bold. They're going to have to take risks. They're going to have to go outside of what they know. They're going to need to borrow from different disciplines and, uh, and bring these things together. So there, there is no one recipe. In fact, there are no recipes that, that say this is the way you succeed in this environment. It's, you just have to get out there and invent the recipe, and you know eventually you're going to hit upon that one thing that, uh, that everybody loves.
1: Interesting. I'm looking at your notes, risk, genius, and experimentation. That's the mix. Are we talking about vast new opportunities for startups, for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs as well? We talked about that on our Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. Sean, just a quick comment from you before I bring in Dave and Jason to comment. What's your thought on that? Is this the era of the new entrepreneur opportunity?
3: It it absolutely is. Um, I I think it opens back up even some of the – some of the garage businesses that we've seen in the past. You know, um, when, when we look at uh, uh, Mr. Gates and what he's done out of a garage and Apple out of a garage, I mean, the, um, uh, those opportunities are available now uh, to people who can think outside the box and, and take uh, basic disciplines and start putting them together in a new ways. I, I think the, the, uh, the opportunities are definitely there for entrepreneurs.
1: Thank you. I just want to give some encouragement because every time we talk about robots, I think we can all agree that people say, what, my job, I'm going to be replaced by this thing. It won't have a heart. It won't be able to cry when somebody tells them at work a very sad story. What's going on? And now we're talking about entrepreneurs, and that's a good opportunity. Dave Parrish, talk to us. What are your thoughts?
4: Yeah, I couldn't agree more with, uh, with what Sean was just sharing. I mean, I, I think I know, Sean, why well, you picked a, a quote around perseverance, right? I mean, if you're going to be a bold, risk-taking engineer, or uh, entrepreneur, rather, you uh, you definitely have to have perseverance. And I also like the, the analogy of, you know, like the two guys in the garage, right? Because you, you hear about all these different innovations that happen so quickly now. Um, and even here locally, I think we talked about it a little last time, but Colorado's really big into the, the craft brewing market. And to see some of these guys that, you know, literally were just brewing beer in their basement and now through technology mm-hmm. advances and the internet and other things social media they've all got like large successful you know smaller businesses sure but but you know from nothing to a whole industry in less than i would say 15 years that's pretty impressive
1: drink up it's <laughs> impressive
4: it is exactly. impressive, I mean, it, is impressive. So funny. it doesn't it doesn't matter if we're talking about industrial valves or you know, the fancy soda fountain in a McDonald's today where you can pick all your flavors. I mean, it's just, it's all moving so quickly from a complete idea of customization for just Bonnie or for just Jason. You know, I mean, it's, it's pretty wild. Mm-hmm.
1: Make for me it is indeed. Speaking of Jason Kaufman, why don't you weigh in on this, Jason?
2: Yeah, uh, I like the analogy of the, the fusion of technologies and the correlation to some of the art of the possible uh, as it comes to food. Um, I, I think a lot of the platforms, the access to data, um, and if you have an interesting you know, solution for customer experience or insights for, for the manufacturing floor, uh, it, it, those technologies are allowing you to accelerate you know, the experimentation and be able to come up with, with new ideas that weren't thought of before. So that is helping, to, helping us to get to the 88 miles per hour.
1: Uh-huh. Yes, and we're going to be moving along quickly on that. Sean, anything you want to add to this before I move on to some topics from Dave Parrish?
3: Yeah, the last thing is is that, that that recipe is going to really be around the, you know, we've said this before, around trial and error. And that's going to tell us what technologies to bring together and in what proportion.
1: Thank you very much. Dave Parrish, let's look at a recent magazine article in Information Age, and you're talking to me here in your notes. You say the author claimed not only is every business now a digital business, but every part of every business is digital. Digital. Let's talk about this. Reflect back on industrial manufacturers, technology professionals, the people you deal with on a regular basis, and even the the entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs. We've been. I was referencing about the people who will not be replaced by robots. Maybe they'll invent new robots. Dave, th- talk to us.
4: Yeah, I think um, actually, as you say it, um, I I spend most of my time interacting um, with people in manufacturing that are making you know, large, complex industrial products for the most part. And then the other half is obviously technology with the SAP side of the world. Um, Just what I see, it's not, it's no longer just about, okay, we're going to make some of our products digital and we're going to take all this different data and move it around. It's how internally within within the company themselves, how they are changing business processes also using some of this technology. Um, If you think about, just how mobile all of us are on this call right now. I mean, we could be anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, Even eight, ten years ago, that would have been difficult in some situations. And now, I mean, it even seems like mid-level plant people have everything they need on their phone or uh, tablet to do their jobs from anywhere on the planet, as long as there's a, a connection, right? Um, okay. To me, that that is, uh, you know... You want to change an industry, change the, change the processes, right? And I think that's exactly what's happening.
1: Interesting. I was at a restaurant for a, a quick bite, when was it, last Friday after a movie, and a waiter who must have been, well, he was probably a, a, not a leading edge, a trailing edge boomer. I'd say the guy was probably in his early 60s, oh, something like that, being kind, just a gracious, lovely man. And we gave our order. And what do you think he did right there at the table, Dave? He had an iPad. And he was tapping away madly, no more writing down on a a piece of paper and bringing it over to the kitchen. He was entering it digitally at the table. Poor guy, I don't know what it took him. I said to him, how's that working out? He said, well, not so well yet, but I'm getting the hang of it. But they (laughs) they had forced him to become, and he was the kind of old-fashioned waiter who stood by the side of the table and said, let me recommend my favorites. I think you'll love the bouillabaisse, and I think you'll love love the, the seafood platter. And this is why it's my favorite. It's light and it's fluffy and it's fresh I was, so it was a mix of the old and the new the waiter who actually talks and is right. charming and intelligent with a guy who's forced to enter your order on, a, on a, the tapping it up on, on an iPad amazing let's go over to uh, Jason Kaufman thoughts on what David just introduced
2: yeah, no. I'm seeing the, the similar trends. You know, as, as companies evolve from being product-only companies into these digital businesses, um, it, it's on everybody's mind. And, and, and I think one of the the big topics is if you've been successful for a hundred years as a traditional manufacturer. Can you disrupt yourself and move into this new digital business quickly enough, or will your core business hold you back? Um, if we look at some of the big manufacturers that have made huge announcements as they're making investments and that shift into the digital business, um, you know Wall Street's not always responding. You know, there's there's not that many examples of being able to disrupt yourself. So as you look at the you know the new incumbents the new disruptors that are coming in with new ideas that aren't um you know handcuffed with all the greatness and all the strength that's allowed this company to exist for over 100 years um it it's an interesting tension um as as these companies evolve but they're making big investments in order to do that disruption to themselves and to become uh, digital, whether it's dynamic services or extending beyond just the product uh, and, and new transformational type services.
1: Thank you very much. Let's talk to Sean Malloy. Thoughts, Sean?
3: Yeah, you know, I think every business today is is digital. Um, I think everybody has moved and has back end computers and uses email. But I, I believe that the challenges for the fifth industrial revolution are really around uh, taking the vision. That uh, are creating a vision that uses the strengths uh, of a company, the R&D, the technology that they have, putting that all together, coming up with new products, but then, but then taking the, the workforce and going through the change management that's required in order to move them along. So I think, I think a lot of companies are, you know, one of their biggest assets and one of their, their biggest uh, uh, challenges is really their people. And, and bringing them along with them and retooling them and, and getting them excited into these new digital technologies and getting them engaged and to own Thank you for, owns yep, the uh, new product.
1: Dave Parrish, thoughts from you? This was your topic?
3: Yeah,
4: absolutely. Um, it's interesting, going back to your waiter example,
1: mm-hmm.
4: Bonnie, it sounds like you had a pretty nice night on Friday and this guy was like the perfect blend of where we want to go and what we like about the past. And I was thinking about, you know, what Sean just said, it really changed management and how is this going to affect people and who's going to lose their jobs, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I think we, at least in our age bracket, let's call it, um, would understand that hopefully 10, 20 years from now, that waiter still going to have that human ability, Right. I don't mm-hmm. think it's the same experience if that's a robot just handing you your food and going, I like the beans or whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not the same kind of interaction. So it'll be interesting to see, like in our kids and our grandkids' lifetimes, what, uh, if there's still going to be that com- the human component, which I would hope for something as simple as, as going out for a nice meal.
1: I, I would agree. And by the way, I asked him what his name was and he said it was Tom and I looked at him with his very thick European accent and I said, come on, is that really your name? And he said, no. And I asked him for his real name. It was a complicated European name. I don't remember it right now. And I said, what happened? He said, when I came over here to the U.S., I realized nobody would be able to spell or pronounce my name. It was very confusing. So I decided to be Tom. <laughs> now, that, now, the question is, will that happen to robots? So robots say, my name is Marianne Google Hopper the III. You say, well what do you want me to call you call me Bob You can imagine if a robot had, I'm just getting carried away with this. Thank you, Dave. Let's go back to some, a topic that I believe belongs to all three of you, but I'm going to pull it up from Jason Kaufman's notes. Uh, Dave Parrish on previous episodes talking about the, the third, the fourth, the fifth re- industrial revolution talked about the dark side of all of this technology and Dave called it cyber attacks. Well, in his notes, Jason says security, as we've discussed before, security will continue to be a critical topic as we expose key APIs data, and remove human controls to override systems not performing as expected. So let's talk about security, lack thereof, the dark side. We can do with it on an on industrial side, a little bit on the personal side. Jason, why don't you kick this off for me?
2: Yeah. No, it, it was interesting. as, as Just yesterday, I, I, I don't have my notes in front of me, but but part of the the IoT community has just published the first... Specs and standards around security, um, so that collaborative, you know, um, environment that's being set up between companies, between you know, from software, hardware, and, and and manufacturers, they are starting to come together and recognize that we need to have a solution. So it was really exciting to see the the, the first announcement around um, at least the start of some standards that that will you know support security in a common way, uh, so we can kind of get. Or, you know, behind this, uh, and and or, or at least the start of uh, of a platform or a foundation that allow us to to feel good about what we're trying to do and how to accomplish. Because at the end of the day, one of the major throttles is going to be around adoption. And if you're not sure from a safety standpoint or the risk to shareholder value, uh, if you have any objective objections or concerns around being able to meet that, and if it comes down to security, uh, it's going to be hard to. You know, to hit that 88 miles per hour and, and, and accelerate through, and to really uh, see dynamic things happen. But it, it's great to see that we're starting to make some progress here.
1: Good, glad we are. Sean Malloy, intelligence thoughts on security, the dark side, cyber attacks, anything or everything.
3: Well, I agree that there there have been some some pretty good initial movement made in area of security. Um, you know, for example, we have VPN companies that are loading VPN software on the routers. And and that way, then, for the remote communication, they're encrypted and, and done through um, uh, in a secure way. And I think that's a good first step. But it, it leaves, um, you know, devices that don't have VPNs and internal Wi-Fi transmissions open to interception. And, you know, there, there are a few things going on right now that, that really beg the security side of things for me, and that is, um, you know, we've got these wearables now, things that started with the, uh, products like Fitbit. And uh, insurance companies have taken to collecting the data out of the Fitbit and using the number of steps you've taken and you're getting enough sleep and those types of things and using those as parameters to lower your insurance rate. So now mm-hmm. we're dealing with the HIPAA law with uh, yes. the Internet of Things. So the, the security is going to go well beyond, you know, just a, a physical device. It's going, to, it's going to hit us in, in all areas of our lives.
1: Agree. Let's talk to Dave Parish. Dave, are we still looking at the darker side, as you said several times on our previous episodes on this yeah, topic? Yeah, I'm by thought- no
4: means uh, a half-empty kind of guy, but I think we'll all realize that, you know, for every threat, there's a corresponding opportunity, right? And for this one in particular, um, you know, doing some reading with uh, around Gartner and also IHS Information Handling Systems, they're. Uh, they said that last year the cybersecurity market was right around 800 million, expected to grow to 2 billion in the next four years. So o- almost 19 percent growth um, in just cybersecurity products. And to me, that's you know that's uh, an astonishing number. But if you think about what we read in the news every day, it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, it's everything from A traffic light is connected to a police station or the hospital or whatever to, you know, a robotic welding machine on the shop floor, an entire building's HVAC system. I mean, all this stuff is vulnerable, but to Jason and Sean's point, I think, um, you know, we've got a lot of smart people looking at how do we keep the software, the hardware, the physical things, even the human, the biological nature of some of this stuff, like Sean was saying. uh, How do we keep it all secure? And I think there's, we could all agree there's some money to be made for that one.
1: And that's what we'd like to do. We're talking about profitability, bottom line. Let me see. We're about two minutes away from prediction. So let me see where we want to go here. Um... Sean, oh, I have one from Dave Parrish. Here's an interesting, uh, probably should have done this at the beginning of the show, but never too late. The Industrial Internet of Things is basically IOT applied to manufacturing. Is there any confusion out there, Dave Parrish, about what IIOT is? Is this something we need to reinforce for our listeners? Um,
4: I'm not sure. I I mean, to me, I see a lot of different terms around this. We used to talk about machine-to-machine connectivity and remote Mm -hmm. diagnostics and things of that nature, um, I think for the particular patch that I work with in, in heavy industrials, the industrial Internet of Things makes a lot of sense. Um, and to me, when I just hear Internet of Things, I'm thinking more of the consumer side of the world, right? And as mm-hmm. I think we all know, the the industrial side is, is you know, from a commercial standpoint where the, the bang for the buck uh, for all of our focuses needs to be. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean... I like the term personally because it it fits my patch. But sure, if you were a banker or something, I could see how it would be maybe a bit confusing to some.
1: And let me add one more bit of confusion here. Well, I'm going to call this the modern, uh, the fifth industrial revolution tower of Babel or Babel, however you like to say it. Uh, Dave says one of the most, one of the major bottlenecks the industrial internet faces is the inability to share information between smart devices that speak different languages. You knew I'd tie that one up, Dave. Dave, how bad is it? Do they need uh, Berlitz for for robots? What's going to happen with all of this?
4: Yeah, I I mean, for me, this has been—you know—this is this is not a new problem, right? We've had this kind of standards battles, if you will, since you know my whole adult life. And now I just think it's it's a different level, right? Because this technology and these sensors we've talked about are so prevalent today and are just continuing to be more and more prevalent. Are we are we moving in the right direction from a standards perspective? Are we going to get to something like? you know, the UPC code, if you will, in the States for consumer products? Are we going to get to that level? Is there going to be a true sort of business network at the industrial level that, you know, all parties can communicate openly? We'll see. I mean, you hear about things like blockchain and other of these new technologies. I mean, it's it's not just not our grandfather's business world. It's not our business world right now, right, because the things are just changing so fast.
1: Thank you. Let me go around the table quickly. We're officially in the roundtable part called the predictions crystal ball. But I just want to get a quick comment on this language issue in the IIoT. Jason Kaufman, what do you say? Agree with Dave? Disagree?
2: Uh, no, I generally agree. Uh, I'm I'm seeing you know the the Internet of Things is fairly broad. So as within within my client base and focus on manufacturing, it's more the what's applicable to you know, our industry and across manufacturers. So I think it's provided some level of clarity on just how to describe it and and, and how to move forward.
1: Thank you very much. And, Sean Malloy, quick comment on that?
2: Uh, sure. So
3: right now, machines have a plethora of different PLCs or, or program logic controllers that they use to talk to the, the equipment. Uh, I believe in the future they're going to have to take all proprietary uh, Uh, code, put that into the machine, and then use a a universal sensor device, middleware, that all speaks the same language to make things a lot easier. So it's much more plug-and-play than it is today.
1: Good. Okay, Jason Kaufman, officially, I'll give you 60 seconds, predictions, crystal ball. And my question will be, of course, how fast will we be reconnecting the three of us, the four of us, to talk about the sixth industrial revolution? Jason, look into the future. What do you see at Deloitte?
2: Yeah. Uh if I if I have my automotive hat on since I'm sitting in Detroit and we've talked about autonomous driving before, mm-hmm. um, you know, seeing Singapore's announcement uh, this month, with regards to their pilot around you know, a very defined geofenced area of having autonomous vehicles you know, supporting their citizens, uh, a lot of government regulation set in that, that can put those controls in place. So, I'm seeing a big mashup of, kind of smart cities along with manufacturing starting to take hold. Uh, so, uh, you know, with the 2020 outlook, uh, my expectation is seeing more of those types of pilots pop up in the U.S. Uh, to be a little U.S.-centric for a minute um, and and allowing us to make big big movements around mass transit, not just some of the smaller experiments that are happening around autonomous driving.
1: Interesting. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, by the way, SAP is sponsoring the Best Practices Automotive Conference, Part 2, second year in... Detroit, Michigan in the middle of October and I will be doing remote interviews with about 30 thought leaders, SAP and partners and customers and interested people there and we will be posting those interviews about what they see coming in the future on our show page for The Future of Cars with Game Changers. So there, Jason, and are you going to the event? Do you know about it, Jason Kaufman?
2: Uh, I do now. I need to look at my calendar to see if it's, uh, <laughs> it's there. I'll put but you in touch with Larry like Stoley at
1: at SAP. Yeah, it's a must must attend. Thank you. Sean Malloy, intelligence. Let's do your crystal ball predictions. What do you see?
3: So we we started talking about fusion, and I see the future as as even more fusion than what we see today. So, for example, safety features in cars, we, we you know, we're talking about autonomous cars, but I believe you're also going to have you know, a fusion between wearable devices and people that have uh, seizures. Uh, that they'll be monitored in a car and say they have a seizure. The vehicle will be able to safely move them over to the side, mm-hmm. call 911, and get help to that person immediately without having them, you know, wreck a car and, and stop their of life where they can't drive. Uh, there'll be preventative health care uh, through wearables and other devices. Um, there will be a focus on life-saving devices that we don't have today, um, assisted living devices, allowing seniors to go out and live more productive lives longer because they'll have uh, devices that help them uh, move and manipulate objects and, uh, and just live a higher quality of life.
1: That's what we would like. By the way, my mom is going to be 100 in about 20 weeks and um, she, we, we did get her to give up her car. It was her idea when she was about 98 and a half. And that was a good thing. But she insists on living alone. And I say to her, why do, don't you want somebody, an aide, a, a companion, somebody? And she says to me... Why? So they can watch me get up and get dressed, put on my makeup, go to the beauty parlor, play bridge, play mahjong, go out to lunch with my friends, go to a movie, go to a concert. What are they going to do all day? Watch me live my life. So, <laughs> and no, no devices in sight, and she's just in good shape. I, I think we have a one of those uh, notification bracelets, one of those digital bracelets I make her wear. But other than that, no devices. So very, and she still does email. So what can I tell you? Still enjoys email. Okay, and David Parrish, let's round out this prediction around with you, my friend. What do you see in the future?
4: Thanks, Bonnie. And uh, that's amazing about your mom. That's pretty. I know. Pretty special. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, you know, Jeff kicked us off, or Jason kicked us off earlier in the program, talking about you know, hype and the acceleration. And I think what we're going to see, is, as Sean was talking about, I mean, we're moving from hype into reality, right? I mean, I don't know about your guys' neighborhoods, but here in Denver, where I am anyway, I never saw an Amazon delivery truck or a drone or anything like that, even 18 months ago, and now, I mean, my, I see, I work right out of my home, and I see at least one, if not five, Amazon trucks a day, as long as with, you know, an equal amount of UPS trucks. Um, mm-hmm. That's a fundamental shift in a very, very, very short amount of time, Right. And when you look at that exponentially at the industrial level and the people that are making these things, it's not just how we consume it, right? It's not just, you know, the smart cities and the, you know, let's move it to buses and transportation because that, that's all huge. But, you know, this is really going back to the original equipment manufacturers and what kind of value can they add to these products moving forward because it's, it's almost like everybody's a high-tech company now, right? I build mm-hmm. these gigantic industrial machines, but I have to innovate as fast as Apple if my customer is going to continue to buy them. So
1: David Parrish, we need to do a part four. Do you think we'll be at the sixth industrial revolution by January? Should I schedule it already, or should we wait a little longer? What's your thought, quickly?
4: Um, I think we should go ahead and do it, but I think we need to stop revolutions. got to just <laughs> we, gotta, we need a new theme
1: now. You come up with it. Send it to me. I'll put a date yeah, in the calendar I, I for the do three of you. I more math, buddy. That's fine, dear. I'll have to do the math for you. I'll, I'll get an iWatch, and we'll, we'll figure out how to do the math. Jason <laughs> Kaufman, Deloitte, thank you. Sean Malloy, Intelligence. thank you. David Parrish, SAP, thank you. And thank you to Justin, our engineer. And everybody, have a great day. And here's my call to action. Oh, you know what it is automatically. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye.